just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Wednesday. It's been kind of a big week. A lot of things happening and some things not going to be happening. We'll be talking about that in this program. So just hang with me here. There's one story I want to tell you before we get into it and before we get to the emails that uh, I received that just fucking makes me mad. And I know it's going to disgust you. It's going to make you angry. Let me just preface this in saying that I'm a big fan of dogs. I love all dogs better than most people. Dogs are a wonderful friend, part of the family, and uh, I would do anything for dogs. I love dogs. I love cats too, but I really, really love dogs. And when dogs are mistreated, this, this really makes me angry. And this story is about stupidity. Uh, about arrogance, about ego, and more about stupidity. Here's how the story goes. There was a woman that was posting on social media. She lives in Montana. Apparently, she and her husband are big hunters, big game hunters, you know. So proud of them shooting animals. Well, it seems one day... Recently, she went out on her own to show her husband that she can be a great hunter, too. And she's out there stalking um, predator bears. That's how she put it. Now, if you're in Montana and you're going after grizzlies, I'll grant you those are predators. When you're hunting a grizzly bear, chances are better that he's hunting you. So that is a dangerous thing to wade into. Uh, So she's looking for predator bears to show how tough she is and what a great hunter she is. Well, as she goes along, she doesn't really find any bears, but she finds yet another predator that she can shoot and show how smart, how talented, and how brave she is. She sees a predator wolf. Now, the way she explained it, she thought it was a wolf pup. But apparently because they're predators, it's okay to shoot wolves, even wolf puppies. So she shoots this wolf puppy. She not only shoots it, but she skins it. She took the obligatory pictures for social media of her holding the head up. She even had a picture of this wolf, scun out and laid spread eagle, on the bed of her truck. And she was so excited she couldn't wait to tell her husband what she'd accomplished and how proud she was of what she'd done. And uh, she knew her husband would be proud too that his little wife went out and shot a big bad wolf. Now there's only one problem with this story. Now you may hate hunting, you may like hunting. I hunted when I was young. I don't now. I just don't see any enjoyment in it. There's nothing in it for me. I don't really want to do it. I don't begrudge anybody that does want to hunt. They're more than welcome to hunt. It's perfectly legal. I have no problem with it. I just don't have any interest in it. 
So anyway, she kills this wolf. She's showing it off on social media. She calls her husband, all excited. She killed this predator wolf. (laughs) The only fucking problem here is it wasn't a wolf. It was a fucking Siberian husky puppy. I mean, it was pretty good size, but it was a young Siberian husky. This woman went out to catch or to shoot predators, and what she shot was some family's family member, a Siberian husky, a puppy no less, and she was proud of this. Now, had she known it was a Siberian husky, I would hope that she wouldn't have shot him if she knew better, but the fact of the matter is she's dumb as fuck, and she didn't know any better. But I got to be honest with you, I'm not a big time hunter or anything like that, of course. But I know the difference between a Siberian husky and a fucking wolf. There's a vast difference between those two animals. So this woman goes out into the wilderness in Montana and shoots somebody's fucking puppy. And she's all proud of it. Not because she was trying to be mean, but because she is fucking stupid. Well, needless to say, this woman is getting dragged all over the fucking internet. And I got to be honest, there's got to be some laws broken here. Animal cruelty, something like that. She's going to pay a heavy price because she's stupid. And this is the essence of what we're dealing with, with uh, Trumplifux and, and, and these kinds of people. They're too stupid to understand what the truth is, what the facts are, or what's real. And they are going to pay a price, ultimately. They are going to be embarrassed. They might get indicted. They might get put in jail, as we're seeing happening right now. I didn't really bring this story up to make a comparison to Trumplifux, but it fits really well. I did it because I love dogs, and I hate stupid people. I have a low tolerance for stupid. And this story is absolutely appalling. I don't know if they took it down already, but I saw the pictures of how she was holding the head of this puppy and how she had the animal gutted and spread out like a bear rug on the bed of her truck. And she was so proud. I don't know what's going to happen to this woman, but hopefully it's something bad. I mean, this is a perfect example of why you don't give just fucking anybody guns and let them go out in the woods or on the streets of our cities. They're too stupid to know any better. They're not stable enough to handle a gun because they don't know how to handle a gun. Like I say, I used to hunt when I was younger. And as much as my dad and I didn't get along, he was a kind of a big time hunter too. Um, But he was very specific about how you handle a gun. And if you didn't handle the gun properly, you never got to handle a gun again. And that's the way it should be. If you're going to have a gun in this country... At the very least, you should know how to handle it, and you should have some awareness of what the fuck you're shooting. Jesus Christ. All right, enough ranting about that. Let's uh, check some emails. I got this one from Roy, and he makes an interesting point. He says, hi, Mike. When classified documents are created, don't they make copies? Allegedly, all documents are cataloged with the person who created them and probably others. So when classified folders are empty, would they not have a record of what was on them? In addition, if they thought more classified documents were in Bedminster, would the FBI have raided that facility by now? 
Lots of facts missing here. Your thoughts, Roy. I couldn't agree with you more, Roy. Um, I, I don't know all the absolute facts, but I have read some of the similar things that you've read. And it makes sense that um, these documents that go into these folders are, in fact, cataloged. If you have an identifier on the uh, folder, presumably you can find out what the document was and what it was about. And it only makes sense that there are copies, that the, the author of the document would have a copy. So theoretically, if you can find out what the document was, you can go to the author and they would have a copy of it. I don't know that that's true, but that makes sense. See, the thing about it is the fact that we haven't heard everything it shouldn't be surprising. It's not surprising because uh, we're not going to get to know a lot. I suspect in future hearings or when some of these trials start, we will learn a lot about what was going on with those documents that we don't know, that we can't even imagine. And, and honestly, I believe not only will we learn more about those documents, we'll learn just how Donald Trump distributed these documents, who he gave them to what the procedure was, and what he gained out of it. I really believe the DOJ knows all this stuff, and they're being methodical trying to go through this. And yes, we're all anxious for somebody to be put in fucking handcuffs. I mean, it's just our fucking national security. Um, But I think we're going to know a lot of stuff. And I think you're absolutely right, Roy. They know what documents are missing. I mean, let's be honest. When the National Archives went down there and picked up the documents the first time, the first 15 boxes, and they go back and they go, whoa, there's some shit missing. Well, how do they know that? Because there's catalogs of these documents. So they knew, and then they went back and did the raid, did the search, and got the other boxes. Now, the idea that there might be some up at Bedminster or even the Trump Tower, that seems logical. That seems like the first step. Go there and search them. Why they haven't, I don't know. I don't know. I suspect we'll find out the reasoning behind that, too. Um, Here's something to think about. You remember when they went down to Mar-a-Lago and they searched Donald Trump's residence. The DOJ didn't announce it. They didn't promote it. The only reason we know about that search is because Donald Trump started spewing about it online. Had he kept his mouth shut, most of us may not have known that that search even happened. So maybe those searches already happened, and hard as this may seem to believe, maybe Donnie Trump learned a fucking lesson and kept his mouth shut. So if there's an urgency, if national security is at risk, and they believe that some of these documents are in New Jersey or New York, I would have to think they at least attempted to go after it. Now, keep in mind, they have to deal with different courts when they're going to New Jersey, different courts when they go to New York, and different courts and judges when they were in Florida. So maybe there's some sticking points about going to places other than Florida. I don't know. I'm just spitballing stuff here to see what what may have happened. Bottom line is we're probably going to have to sit and wait and see what happens because uh, they aren't going to tell us everything. There may be a chance that we don't, we never know everything. 
But as long as the end result is Donald Trump is accountable for his crimes, I'm good with it. All right, the next email comes from David in Houston, Texas. He says, hi, Mike. Just a quick thought. After hearing about Ken Paxton's subpoena saga, I believe the GOP should consider changing their animal symbol from elephant to a roadrunner. David. (laughs) That's a good one, David. I like that. I like that. And there might be some people out there that don't know of that story. So that'll be the first story we look at. Uh, Mr. Paxton in Texas, he is the attorney general. Um, He is the top legal person, top law enforcement person in all of Texas. What's weird about Paxton, uh, he's been under indictment for what seems like four or five years for some financial fraud. Why nothing has been done about that, why he hasn't been to court, why he hasn't been convicted as yet, I don't fucking know. But with David suggesting that they now be called the Republican Roadrunners, it's funny because of this story. Um, Paxton, who is the Attorney General, Ken Paxton, um, Ken Paxton was uh, going to be served a subpoena. His office filed a motion to quash the subpoenas uh, for his crimes, saying they were not proper and had not been effectively served. Paxton refused to engage a person trying to serve him at his home Monday morning, according to the motion. On Tuesday, a Texas judge granted Paxton's request to quash and seal the subpoena to appear at the hearing. Now, top executive officials should not be called to testify absent extraordinary circumstances, according to the motion. Um, And the claim, the entire reason he is named as a defendant is because he is a high-ranking government official. The motion also notes that as an individual, Paxton has no information relevant to the plaintiff's claim. On Monday morning, Ernesto Martin Herrera served the subpoenas to Taxton at his home. The affidavit says Herrera knocked on the front door and a woman opened it where he shared that he was there to give Paxton important legal documents. The affidavit continues. She said that Paxton was on the phone and that he was in a hurry to leave. So Herrera left his card and went to sit in his car to wait. Almost an hour later, now he was in a hurry, but he didn't leave for an hour later, a car drove into the home's garage and Paxton exited the vehicle, the affidavit says. I walked up the driveway approaching Mr. Paxton and called him by his name. The affidavit says, as soon as he saw me and heard me call his name out, he turned around and ran back inside the house through the same door in the garage. Ken Paxton, he's not a young man, but he's running from a process server. Later, his wife, State Senator Angela Paxton, started the truck, according to the affidavit. Several minutes later, Ken Paxton ran outdoors and into the car trying to avoid Herrera, the affidavit says. Herrera says that he once again called Paxton's name, saying that he had legal documents, but that Paxton continued towards the truck. A Texas judge ruled Tuesday that the state attorney general, Ken Paxton, does not have to appear at a hearing related to abortion access, 
lawsuit after an affidavit alleged that he ran away twice from a person who was serving him a subpoena related to the lawsuit. Now, the subpoena was part of a lawsuit filed August by several abortion funds, as well as by an individual abortion provider seeking to block Texas officials from bringing cases under Texas abortion bans for conduct that happened out of state before Roe v. Wade was overturned. The affidavit says two subpoenas were issued for Paxton, one under his professional title as attorney general and another addressed to him individually. Now, when Herrera determined Paxton was not going to take the subpoenas from his hand, the affidavit says he yelled to Paxton that he was serving him with legal documents and left them on the ground. Paxton left in the truck and left the documents on the ground, Herrera said. Paxton responded to the allegations in two tweets from his verified account, saying he's being attacked for trying to avoid a stranger lingering outside my home. Well, you're the attorney general of the state, and he claimed to have legal documents. He's an official process server. I think you're probably not being totally honest here, Ken. This is a ridiculous waste of time, and the media should be ashamed of themselves. The first tweet reads, All across the country, conservatives have faced threats to their safety, many threats that receive scant coverage or condemnation from the mainstream media. See what's happening there? Mr. Tough Guy, now a victim. It's clear that the media wants to drum up another controversy involving my work as attorney general, so they're attacking me for having the audacity to avoid a stranger lingering outside my home and showing concern about the safety and well-being of my family, the second tweet said. Yeah, Ken, you ran away, but your wife walked right up to him. So you let your wife walk up to this lingering stranger, but you didn't have the courage to do it. Yeah, you knew what was going on, and you were trying to avoid a legal process server giving you documents that you should have had. And it's ironic, given that you're the top law enforcement official of the state of Texas. Judge Robert Pittman, the judge who granted Paxton's request to quash the subpoena, also granted Paxton's emergency motion to seal the documents. Plaintiff's actions have caused a serious security risk for Paxton because the process server was unidentified and loitered at the attorney general's home for over an hour, repeatedly shouted at him and accosted both the attorney general and his wife, a senator in the state or the Texas state of uh, Texas legislature, according to the motion. He feared for his safety and refused to engage with the strange man who was lurking outside his home and repeatedly shouting at him, said the motion. Well, here's the irony in all of that. Mr. Paxton is upset of people yelling and threatening at him, threatening him. Now, there's no indication that that's exactly what happened, but No proof, anyway. But it's ironic he would be fearful of that. Yet he supports overturning Roe v. Wade and turning women and providers into criminals, committing felonies for something that is a constitutional right. He's okay when people are protesting or causing violence at these uh, doctor's offices or to these women who are trying to exercise their constitutional right. 
you're going to whine and cry about somebody trying to serve you a legal document, but you turn your face away from these people that are being treated far worse for unnecessary reasons, for unconstitutional reasons. Like I said about Ken Paxton, I don't even know why that fucker's still walking around. Uh, Since I first started hearing about him toward the early part of Donald Trump's uh, tenure, it's always been said he's under indictment, not for this abortion thing, but for financial fraud. There doesn't seem to be any big hurry in getting him into court, even though he's been indicted. I don't know what that's about. No doubt, because he's attorney general of the state of Texas, he's getting some uh, sympathy or he's allowed some leeway, wiggle room, if you will. But here's a guy that should be in fucking jail. He is a criminal. He is corrupt. He stole money. But uh, he's the victim, right? He's the victim. Tired of politicians getting uh, getting uh, easy way outs of things. This guy should be accountable. His crime should be addressed. And he should be prosecuted for it. All right. Got some bad news for you. It's not horrible news. It's understandable news. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol has postponed its hearing scheduled for today because of the hurricane, Hurricane Ian, heading toward Florida. I'm recording this at about uh, 1230 um, Wednesday morning. I'm not sure when the hurricane is going to hit, and we're going to talk about that hurricane in a bit. Um, So I don't know where it's at. It still hasn't hit Florida as yet. By the time you hear this, it may have already done so, and it's a frightening thing. The panel had originally scheduled a hearing for Wednesday to reveal new information it has uncovered since its last hearing on July 21st, but the committee's chairman, Democratic Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi, and the vice chairwoman, Republican Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, made the announcement yesterday afternoon. In light of a hurricane uh, bearing down on parts of Florida, we have decided to postpone tomorrow's, meaning today's, proceedings. Thompson and Cheney said in a joint statement, we're praying for the safety of all those in the storm's path. The select committee's investigation goes forward, and we will soon announce a date for the postponed proceedings. One of the committee's nine members, Democratic uh, Representative Stephanie Murphy, Stephanie Murphy represents a district that includes parts of Orlando. CNN reported that earlier that Murphy may not have been able to attend Wednesday's hearing because it's involving her home. So it's disappointing that the hearing won't go on, but it's really the only choice they have. You know, you've got to pay respect to those in danger in Florida. As much as many of us don't like Florida because of DeSantis, because of Rubio, because of, was it Rick Scott or Rick Scott? or whoever the fuck it is. We don't like these people, Florida, because they're heavily red and they support Donald Trump. Well, that makes no matter right at this point. When you've got a storm bearing down on a state as large as Florida, they're trying to evacuate 3 million people, and I think they still have 1.75 million still there. And uh, 
this very serious hurricane is imminent. You have to step back and focus all your attention on, uh, on uh, what's going on there. There are going to be people who need help. There's going to be all kinds of services needed and money. So uh, we need to focus on that. On a more, um, on, a, on another side of this, uh, not so sympathetic side, this hearing's going to need to get as much attention as possible. And while this is going on with this hurricane, all that attention will be taken away from the hearing. So as much as they want to pay respect to what's going on in Florida, they also want to garner as much attention as possible. So to do it in the middle of a hurricane makes no sense. Let's talk about the hurricane. More than 2.5 million people, Floridians, were under some kind of evacuation warning on Tuesday as Hurricane Ian marched closer to the state's west coast after knocking out power across all of Cuba. There is no power in Cuba, at least at last check. Now, southern Florida began feeling the storm's first effects Tuesday evening with rain and powerful winds whipping the region and uh, tornado threats, which will last overnight. An apparent tornado at North Perry Airport in Broward County caused significant damage to several aircraft and hangars. Mayor Michael Udine said that on Twitter. The Category 3 storm was churning 120-mile-per-hour winds Tuesday night with its center roughly 180 miles south-southwest of the city of Punta Gorda, close to where it's expected to make landfall in less than 24 hours. So, you know, this was late Tuesday night when this came across, so we may be within hours of it making landfall if it hasn't already by the time you've heard this. City authorities there announced Tuesday night emergency services, including police and fire response, will be suspended until the storm passes, when it will be safe to resume response calls again. For days, forecasters and Florida officials have, have warned this will be a dangerous storm with life-threatening storm surge and flooding and fierce winds. Tuesday night, Ian's hurricane-force winds extended 40 miles out from its center, and tropical storm-force winds extended roughly 140 miles out, with some parts of the Florida Keys reporting wind gusts stronger than 50 miles an hour. Um, I implore you, I urge everyone that this is an evacuation zone that it has been at. We, you have been asked to evacuate. The time is now. You must evacuate now. There will be a time when it will not be safe to travel the roads. Uh, that came from Florida Division of Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie. He warned that as a news conference. There will come a point in time when local public safety officials will not be able to respond to your cry for help. You may be left to fend for yourself. We've seen this in other hurricanes in Puerto Rico and Katrina. It gets pretty scary. And I was talking to my wife about this. You know, we never dealt with hurricanes. We live in Minnesota. That said, we now have a condo in Savannah, Georgia, off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. And in fact, this hurricane, it will be on land by the time it reaches Georgia, and it will be more of a tropical storm. 
But now that you have property down there, you have to give this some consideration. Um, But what I have to worry about is minuscule compared to the folks that live there. This is a dangerous time. And if you haven't evacuated, I don't know what you're thinking. I told my wife, I said, uh, if I was sitting there waiting for a hurricane to hit, I would get in a car, a plane, a train. I don't give a fuck. I would get as far away as we possibly can. Your property is one thing, but your life is far more important. No reason to risk your life for any inanimate object, including a home. Ian will likely make landfall uh, this afternoon, uh, maybe into the evening between Sarasota Sarasota, and Port Charlotte as a Category 3 or Category 4 hurricane. Hurricanes are designated as Category 4 when winds reach speeds of 130 to 156 miles an hour. Whichever of the two it is, one forecaster warned the storm will be a large and destructive hurricane for the state, urging residents to listen to local leaders' advice. And it's not just southwest Florida taking a hit. This is going to be a lot of impacts that will be felt far and wide throughout the state of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis said in Tuesday evening's news conference. As the storm moves in, you're going to potentially have evacuation directives issued from folks in the interior of our state or even the east coast of the state for low-lying areas that absolutely could end up flooded. Ron DeSantis doing his job as a governor. I have to think, though, that uh, if he spent the last couple of weeks preparing for hurricane season rather than sending undocumented migrants to other parts of the country, the state of Florida might have been better for it. I don't know. It's just me spitballing here. Now, the hurricane, Ian, made landfall in Cuba earlier Tuesday as a Category 3 hurricane. Tuesday night, Cuban state media reported the entire island was in a nationwide blackout. Cuban officials said the hurricane caused the power outage and they hope to begin restoring electricity late Tuesday or early Wednesday. We haven't heard yet whether that has been the case. Earlier, state electric company Union Electrica de Cuba said that they would keep power off in Havana to avoid deaths and property damage until the weather improved. The company said they had to turn power off in the area ahead of the storm to avoid electrocutions and to prevent fires. Up to 16 inches of rain and mudslides and flash flooding were possible in western Cuba. The Hurricane Center said uh, Maylin Suarez, a resident of Pinar del Rio, uh, told Reuters the storm made the darkest night of her life. We almost lost the roof of our house, Suarez told Reuters. My daughter, my husband, and I tried to are uh, tied down with a rope to keep it from flying away. Of the 2.5 million Floridians under some kind of evacuation directive, more than 1.75 million were under mandatory evacuation orders Tuesday afternoon. Most were in Lee County, which encompasses Fort Myers. Mandatory evacuation orders were issued for parts of counties in the hurricane warning, stretching from north of Tampa to the Fort Myers area. 
That included Pinellas, Hillsborough, and Manatee counties in Tampa area, Hernando, Sarasota, and Charlotte counties, and parts of Lee County. Emergency shelters have been opened. Now, in Pinellas County, there were more than 440,000 people who are under mandatory evacuations. Clearwater Mayor Frank Hibbard told CNN Tuesday afternoon it was becoming too late for residents to leave. This is a very scary situation. This is a frightening situation for a lot of people. Um, Our prayers uh, and our eyes will be watching what's going on down there. We can only hope for the best, but this is a very dangerous situation. We've seen all too often absolute tragedies in areas that are hit by hurricanes of this size. If we're talking about a Cat 3 or a Cat 4, this is significant. We're talking 140-mile-an-hour winds, and that will do some immense damage. But that coupled with the flooding, who knows what kind of damage it will wreak on the state of Florida and possibly into Georgia and what have you. We'll be watching this closely. And as I say, um, for you Floridians, when it's all over and you need help, and you need care, and you need attention. You need to understand something. Where you're going to get that from is Joe Biden, from the Democrats, not from Ron DeSantis. There's no money in it for Ron DeSantis. How's he going to make money off this deal? Well, he may try. But uh, for those of you that hate Joe Biden, that hate the Democrats, you should feel some comfort in knowing in spite of that, These people will do their jobs, have your back, and take care of you at the time you need them the most. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, we know the January 6th committee hearing has been postponed because of Hurricane Ian, but they will reschedule it not too distant future. And one of the things they were going to focus on was Roger Stone, that piece of shit. It seems Roger Stone was the subject of a documentary that's been filming for a couple of years now, at least. And in this filming, little bits and pieces have been released. The film is set to release in total later on this year, but there have been little bits and pieces. Apparently what happened is there's some information that would be valuable to the January 6th committee. And the filmmakers are in Copenhagen, Denmark, And apparently some of the January 6th committee members flew over to see these clips and, in fact, got some of these clips, and they were going to run them during the next hearing. Now, of course, it's not happening today, but it will happen in the not-too-distant future, and we will be able to see these clips. And the clips I've seen are pretty compelling because, you see, Roger Stone was bragging about how this was all going to go down. This is prior to the election, even. 
says, uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to say we won when we didn't win. We're going to keep pushing it. We're going to take it to courts, to judges who Donald Trump himself appointed. And uh, don't be surprised if there's some violence. So well before January 6th, Roger Stone had considered violence should Donald Trump lose. It tells us a lot about the fact that there is a conspiracy to what happened on January 6th, that there was some planning, and it involved people connected to the White House, because Roger Stone at the time was an advisor to Donald Trump. He was bragging about it. He said, oh yeah, we'll get violent if we have to. Well, (laughs) the Washington Post said Stone followed up a a call to violence with uh, just, I'm only kidding. We renounce violence completely, he said. We totally renounce violence. The left is the only ones who engage in violence. You see what happened there. He got all caught up in his feelings, and he was saying what he truly thought, and then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, shit, I got this documentary crew here filming me. I better, I better smooth it over. But we know two things about... Uh, Roger Stone. He will do anything. He will cheat any way to win an election. He's proven that. He's fucking said that. Secondly, we know that he's a pathological liar. That's all he does is lie. So you can't believe anything coming out of his mouth. Now, the filmmakers were being interviewed by CNN's Don Lemon. They found Stone's backtracking insincere and said it was done with more of a wink and a nod. Stone claimed to CNN that the footage had been manipulated and selectively edited. (laughs) I love that. It makes me laugh every time somebody says, well, the video was manipulated. How, How do we manipulate it to make you say those things without any apparent edits? I did a TikTok and I said, I laugh about this whenever I hear somebody say this and that's their excuse because I remember, it reminds me of when I was a little boy. My brother and I would always watch AWA wrestling. We were big wrestling fans. I mean, we'd watch wrestling in our shorts in case a wrestling match between us would break out. And then you'd always have the heroes, and then you would have the heels, or I should say baby faces and heels. And the heels would always do something to cheat, like they'd go to their their trunks for a foreign object. And they say, I never did anything, I never did anything. And then somebody would show the video, see, you very specifically grabbed a foreign object out of your trunks. <laughs> and they would always look at the camera and say, that video's been doctored. Now, this is the 60s and 70s. I don't know how you doctor a video in the 60s and 70s, but that's what they would say. Now, what they were doing was for show, and it was a joke, kind of a joke, and it was not real. Now we have Republicans using that very same strategy to get out of something they clearly got caught doing. Now, keep in mind, Stone had already been sentenced to 40 months in prison in 2020 for multiple felonies, including witness tampering, lying to Congress, and obstruction, but was pardoned by Trump in December of 2020. Well, he's going to be in the middle of some prosecutions. He's probably going to be prosecuted himself, and he is likely to lose. 
The only problem he has at this point is there's nobody in the Oval Office that's going to pardon him. This time, he's going to do time. And he's not a young man anymore, so he might spend the rest of his life in some kind of incarceration. You know, it's funny. I watched this guy. I've seen him in depositions. And you can see it when he starts getting cornered. He starts losing his shit. He get this, get this evil grin on his face, and he starts talking fast. And he says, you have no proof. You have no, you know, and he just does what Trumplicans do. They talk loud, they talk fast, and they talk over you. Well, I think Roger Stone is understanding right now that he's got some serious problems. If these videos are going to show up in the next January 6th hearing, you can bet they're going to be compelling and very damning. And he knows that. So he's kind of he's kind of shaking in his boots right now, and I'm glad of it. If anybody should be in jail, it should be Steve Bannon, it should be Roger Stone, and it should be Donald Trump. And with any luck, all three will be doing some time. Now, of course, Donald Trump has to do um, some defending of his position, so he's got to get lawyers. Now, Donnie's not had much luck with getting lawyers. He has a problem with paying lawyers, and he has a problem with not taking advice from lawyers. That's a very tough position to put any lawyer in. Nobody wants to deal with that shit. And we heard about recently that he hired this big-time lawyer, at least for him. He paid him $3 million up front because this guy isn't a dummy. He knows he's not going to get paid unless he gets the money up front. Donald Trump has to do something because he's got several potential criminal prosecutions looking him in the face. And uh, he hired this Christopher Keis, uh, the high-priced lawyer brought on by former President Donald Trump to help with his defense in the Mar-a-Lago stolen documents case. But now it sounds like this high-priced lawyer, the only lawyer in a stable of lawyers that seems legitimate, apparently they have sidelined him after less than a month on the job. Now, Keiss is expected to remain on Trump's legal team, but is not leading the work related to the federal government's investigation into Trump's mishandling of the top-secret government documents that he kept at his Mar-a-Lago resort and failed to return even after receiving a subpoena for them. CNN says it does not know specifically why Keiss has been sidelined, but it reports that he may instead focus his efforts on other investigations Trump is facing, and there's many of them, which range from business practices to the January 6th insurrection. Keis, a former Florida solicitor general, was brought on just weeks ago to add some much-needed experience to Trump's legal team, which before had included one former One America News Network host, Christina Bob, who is backed out because she's in trouble after signing a document saying there was no more top secret documents. Now, instead of being Donald Trump's lawyer, she's got her own fucking lawyer, and that's probably a good idea. Then there was Florida insurance lawyer Lindsay Halligan and Alina Habba, who previously served as a general counsel for a parking garage firm. Yeah, he's got some... He's got some high-level lawyers 
Trump's outside spending arm reportedly paid Kais a hefty $3 million retainer fee for his services after he was rejected by multiple other attorneys who had relevant experience in litigating complicated cases involving national security. A Trump spokesman told CNN that Kais remains a key part of Trump's legal team and any suggestions otherwise is untrue. So, why would you do this? You've got the one high-powered attorney that's working for you, but you put him on the bench. Are you going to put him on some other uh, other case? Well, maybe. But I can tell you why, in my mind, why he put this high-powered lawyer on the sideline but still retains him. He's got $3 million into him. He's not going to let him go. He's going to try to ring him out for whatever he can get in this situation. But what likely happened, at least in my mind, and I have no proof of it, just based on his history and based on the behavior that Donald Trump normally normally, uh, projects, um, Kais is a legitimate lawyer. Kais isn't going to go in and lie or take ridiculous uh, conspiracy theories, or anything like that. He's not going to do that because he has a career, he has a business, he has a reputation. He's not going to throw it away like some of these other lawyers have for Donald Trump. Now, he's a high-powered lawyer, and I'm sure he assumed that when he went in to work for Donald Trump, that Donald Trump would listen to him. But that's not the case. Donald Trump only listens to people who tell him the things he wants to hear. Now, Donald Trump is in some serious trouble with these top-secret documents, and I'm sure Keis told him some things that he didn't want to hear. He wants to continue with the bullshit, the lies, the conspiracy theories, because he thinks that's what's going to win the case for him. Well, it's not, and Keis is smart enough to know that it's not. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with this guy, but if they're going to let the insurance... Uh, uh, lawyer and, 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 and the woman who was a talking head on One News, uh, that's not going to do very well. That's just not going to do very well. In fact, what they've done to this point has been virtually embarrassing. I mean, you would think just by virtue of them being lawyers that they would come up with some kind of presentation that has some legitimacy, but they don't. And their biggest problem is Donald Trump. Donald Trump says, this is what you're going to say. And if they're, if they're weak, they'll just go ahead and say it, even though they might be at risk personally. Now, this influence by Donald Trump obviously extends to judges, one particular judge, in fact. Now, when former President Donald Trump went to court against the Justice Department to stall the federal investigation into classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago resort, a district judge he appointed, Aileen Cannon, granted Trump everything he asked for, appointing a special master to review the documents for executive privilege, even though no legal precedent grants a former president privilege. I mean, that... That's that's just the fact. So what she basically did is effectively block the DOJ from conducting a national security review until special master's work is complete. So the special master himself, senior judge Raymond Deary, again a legitimate judge of Brooklyn, New York, is rebuking Cannon for a decision that hamstrings a key function of the job she assigned him to do 
in a filing published by Just Security. Specifically, he is taking issue with her rescinding his authority to issue interim reports as he conducts his review and saying her reasoning for this made no sense. She wants him to give a final uh, report, but not interim reports. Why would that be? Well, it seems to me, since she set it up for the end of November for this to be done, she doesn't want anybody talking about anything prior to the midterms. i got to be honest with you. At this point, the last thing Donald Trump should be worried about is the midterms. Those midterms have already probably been decided by most people who are going to vote. Nothing's going to change their minds now. And nothing looks good for the Republicans, especially Donald Trump's endorsees. I talked about uh, Mastriano in uh, Pennsylvania running for governor. He has a rally, 60 people show up, and he's a hardcore Trump humper. That's how it's going for all of Donald Trump's endorsees. I wouldn't worry about the midterms. I'd worry about your own fucking skin, Donald Trump. In the original appointing order, the court directed that the special master shall submit interim reports and recommendations as appropriate. Upon receipt and resolution of any interim reports and recommendations, the court will consider prompt adjustments to the court's order as necessary, said the filing. However, the court later struck that language as part of its order, implementing an unrelated ruling by the 11th Circuit. As the language quoted above is as to interim reports and adjustments to prior orders is consistent with the 11th Circuit's ruling and the efficient administration of the appointing order was amended. The undersigned respectively recommends that the court issue an order reinstating that language. Now this comes after a three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit, two of whom were also Trump appointees, reversed the portion of Cannon's order blocking the DOJ from access to documents that were marked classified. The special master review will continue for the unclassified documents. In the original appointing order, the court directed that the special master shall submit interim reports and recommendations as appropriate upon receipt and resolution of any item. Now, she doesn't want him to do this. And... uh, The troubling thing is, why not? Deary was mutually agreed to as as the best choice for a special master by Trump and the DOJ. See, that's the funny thing. Donald Trump, Trump's lawyers, Judge uh, Cannon, are all fighting against the very special master that they fucking wanted in the first place. First of all, you didn't need a special master. Second of all, you got the special master you wanted, but you're not getting the answers that you like, so now you're fighting against him. I don't know how you don't see that that uh, puts your credibility into question. According to previous reports, Trump was hoping that because Deary previously served on the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court and because the court was at the center of a long-running Fox News talking point about the FBI supposedly abusing power in Russia, uh, the Russia investigation, that Deary would automatically view the FBI and DOJ as corrupt and be sympathetic to him. Well, that's how dumb Donald Trump is. He thinks people are going to sacrifice their reputations and careers for him. Whether they wanted to do that or not, this is so obvious, this is so blatant, 
by going against it, you're going to ruin your career, just like Judge Aileen Cannon has already done. We're not done with Judge Cannon. She's not going to come out of this very well. I can guarantee you that. So far, however, Trump's hopes haven't panned out. At the first special master hearing, Deary aggressively pushed Trump's legal team to take a position on the former president's repeated claims he can declassify top-secret documents without telling anyone and made it clear he takes the DOJ at its word that the documents labeled classified are, in fact, classified. So now what the judge has told them is, look, man, you can say these things, but you got to come up with proof. And you got to come up with some proof by Friday. This is going to put those folks in a bad position because the lawyers can't put something out they know is a lie because it'll get them in trouble. It'll cost them their law licenses and their careers and their reputation. So they're not going to do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they come up with Friday. As I said yesterday, it's probably going to be some convoluted mess that doesn't mean anything. And that's not going to do them any good. They're trying to slow this down, and it's not working, and there's nothing they can do to slow it down. So as much as the hearing has been canceled for Wednesday today because of the hurricane, as far as I know, the deadline for Donald Trump and his lawyers to submit proof of their claims is still Friday. And when Friday comes around, if you were expecting a lot of evidence to prove the, 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 the horrible, horrible treatment that Donald Trump has gotten by the DOJ and the FBI, you're going to be sadly disappointed. It's not going to go well. They don't have any evidence because there are no problems. There's nothing to have evidence of. Well, here's kind of an interesting story. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell announced Tuesday that he would support legislation that would make it harder to overturn a certified presidential election, an endorsement that will bolster his chances for passage in the chamber and puts him at sharp odds with former President Donald Trump, who has called on GOP senators to sink the plan. McConnell said the chaos of the pro-Trump attack on the Capitol last year certainly underscored the need for an update. Why would Mitch McConnell finally side with a uh, Democratic idea? Well, here's the deal. There is bipartisan support for this. Obviously, this was the Democrats' idea, given all the problems that happened on January 6th with the certification of the uh, Electoral College vote. But this bill is bipartisan, and what they've gotten is 10 Republican senators to sign on to this. So what that gives this bill is 60 votes, 50 Democrats, 10 Republicans. So for McConnell to sign on, it really doesn't change anything. He figures, I might as well be for it as opposed to against it because it's going to pass anyway. If I'm against it and it passes, then I look stupid. So don't think Mitch McConnell is changing his stripes or he's getting better because he's not. He's just uh, resigning himself to the fact that this is going to get done. And this is something that seriously needs to get done. As I've talked about before, there are a lot of norms in our government. And those norms work fine to prevent problems up until the time you have people that are more than happy to roll over the top of those norms like Donald Trump and then the Republicans that followed him. 
norms don't mean anything. So there has to be some accountability and there has to be something to stop people from just running roughshod and trying to overthrow our government. Basically, what they're doing here is they're updating and adding to the Electoral College Act that already exists. They're going to make it tougher for something like January 6th to happen again. There won't be as much leeway or or wiggle room for the Republicans, or Democrats for that matter, to even try something like this. Now McConnell said, I strongly support the modest changes that our colleagues in the working group have fleshed out after literally months of detailed discussions. McConnell said, I'll proudly support the legislation, provided that nothing more than technical changes are made in its current form. See what he says there. He says, oh, just modest changes. I don't think they're modest changes at all. But what's he going to say? He's basically saying, yeah, I'll go along with it because they didn't really change it much. He still wants to hold on to his image. But he knows he's lost this one anyway, so he might as well vote for it. Congress' uh, process for counting the presidential electors' votes was written 135 years ago. Maybe we should just get rid of the Electoral College. It's a little outdated, wouldn't you say? The chaos that came to a head on January 6th um, certainly underscored the need for an update, added McConnell. So did January's 2001, 2005, and 2017 elections. In each of which Democrats tried to challenge the lawful election of a Republican president. Last week, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy and the vast majority of the House Republicans opposed their chamber's version of the bill that would amend the Electoral College Act, uh, Electoral Count Act of 1887, while the House bill has a number of similarity with the Senate's version, including uh, ensuring the vice president only has a Uh, ceremonial role, essentially, in overseeing a joint session of Congress approving state-certified electoral results. It differs in some of its details. Among the differences, the number of lawmakers who would be required to force the House and Senate to vote to overturn a state-certified electoral results and procedures for resolving election disputes in federal courts. Maine Republican Susan Collins and West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin have already lined up 10 Republican co-sponsors for their so-called Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act, enough to support and surpass a filibuster with 50 Democratic votes. The Senate bill would make a number of changes to the Electoral Count Act and the Presidential Transition Act of 1963 in an attempt to address the ambiguity in electoral law that Trump tried to exploit. What it would do is it would increase the number of House and Senate members required to raise an objection to election results when a joint session of Congress meets to certify them. One House member and one senator can can currently object to electoral votes, sending them to a vote in Congress. If either chamber rejects the objection, the votes are counted. The Senate bill would require the support of one-fifth of each chamber to raise an objection. The House bill would raise the threshold even higher to one-third of each chamber to force both chambers to vote on whether to throw out a state's electoral results. Uh, 
Now, in an effort to respond to Trump allies who tried to send fake electors to Congress, both bills try to make it harder for there to be any confusion over the electors themselves. In the Senate bill, it states that each state's governor would be responsible for submission of certificate that identifies electors, eliminating the potential for multiple state officials sending multiple slates of electors. But the bill differ the the two bills differ in how lawsuits challenging election results can be taken up in federal court. With the House bill offering new avenues to sue, something some key Senate Republicans oppose. With the House bill offering new avenues to sue, something some key Senate Republicans oppose. Now. It's good that they're doing this, but you have to understand uh, the Republicans are already looking at this, trying to figure out how they're going to benefit from it. They know that something like January 6th, if it happens again, it's not going to even go as well as it did, and it fucking failed. They're trying to protect themselves as well from the Democrats doing something similar. And you'd probably say to yourself, well... The Democrats would never do that. Well, I wouldn't say that. If they felt like they got ripped off, they might try the very same thing that Donald Trump tried uh, because he pretty much opened the door to it. If there wasn't some kind of accountability or some kind of rules applied to the situation, a Democrat could try it. It's not so much about the party. It's about the individual. And in this particular instance, the individual is Donald Trump. I would say the Republicans would never have done such a thing because we have the norms, as I mentioned. But because Donald Trump is who he is and the popularity he had at the time, they just got on board. They weren't worried about norms or anything like that. All right, the uh, last thing we're going to talk about is the Oath Keepers. Jury selection began... Yesterday, jury selection began yesterday in the seditious conspiracy trial against Oath Keepers founder Elmer Stewart Rhodes and four co-conspirators accused of scheming to prevent the transfer of presidential power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Several of the jurors recalled the emotions they felt on January 6th as a torrent of Trump supporters crashed through the barricades and forced their way into the U.S. Capitol, where Congress was meeting to officially certify the Electoral College. Now, one District of Columbia resident was angry at the threat the rioters posed to his two young children, saying, I felt like they invaded my home. Another said that the violent scene brought tears to his eyes. Several recalled feeling worried for friends or colleagues who might have been in harm's way. Now, the Oath Keepers trial in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia is the Justice Department's biggest case against any of the Capitol rioters so far with the charge of seditious conspiracy carrying a maximum penalty of 20 years behind bars. So far, the longest sentence handed down to any of the rioters was 10 years to a New York Police Department veteran. If jurors ultimately side with the prosecutors, it will boost the government's assertion that the events of January 6th were an existential threat to American uh, democracy. Yeah, this is going to be a big case. If they do get seditious conspiracy, if they do get convictions... It says it's a conspiracy. Now, the only way it can be a conspiracy is if there are other people involved, like people that 
gave tours, like people that helped them plan, like people who helped them fund this whole thing. This is a big case. If these folks are found guilty, and I'm guessing they will, it's going to open up the doors for those other folks that might have been their uh, co-conspirators. And that could be sitting members of Congress, people in the White House, Jenny Thomas. It could be any number of folks. So this is timing out pretty well. We've got this case going on for seditious conspiracy. And while it's been delayed a little bit, we do have the next January 6th hearing that's going to be kind of dealing with the same kinds of things. We may be looking at a perfect storm when it comes to evidence. We'll see what happens. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast for you folks down in Florida. Be safe. Evacuate if you can. Take shelter. And uh, I wish you the best in this in this terrifying situation. I can't even imagine. I know for me, if it was a hurricane coming toward me, I'd get in my fucking car and drive to back to Minnesota if I had to, to avoid it. That's some scary shit. And it can do some pretty severe damage. So you have our thoughts with you. And whether you're Republican or Democrat, we're concerned about you. And just know when this is all over, your government, the Democrats and Joe Biden, will be there to back you up and take care of you. It'll be interesting to see what Ron DeSantis does. For a guy who hates Joe Biden, he's going to be begging Joe Biden for money. But he won't have to beg because Joe Biden isn't that kind of guy. He's a president for all the people, whether they be Republican or Democrat, and he'll be there to help you folks out. All right. You have a great day. And we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.